0: Well, uh, welcome back, everyone, as we slowly get seated. Welcome back. We're going to be entering into time of reading and preaching God's Word. And to read God's Word for us today is Kathy. So I'd like to invite Kathy up.
1: Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, and Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15 from Exodus. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. From Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Tard George, and I'm the Director of Family Discipleship here at Grace Toronto Church. And if you're just joining us, welcome. We've been in a sermon series on faith and work, looking at what it means to live out our vocations faithfully before God and the city. And this morning we find ourselves looking at the subject of rest, because this passage asks the question, why do we need rest from our work? How do we escape the constant busyness of the city? Is there a healthy way to approach our vocations? We're going to spend some time in that text, but before we do, uh, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word. Uh, We ask that you'd be here with us as we open it. God, I'm conscious that as we talk about rest from this passage, there are many of us who don't feel rested this morning. God, we're restless. We're tired. I'm tired. Some of us have to go back to work right after service. Some of us have work commitments, and deadlines, and timelines on the brain even now as we speak. Pray that you would help us to be here, that we would learn from you, and Spirit, that you would empower this preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. It's been crazy busy. I wonder how many times you've heard that in this season, or said that to someone recently if you spent any length of time in the city, chances are that you've probably heard a lot of people tell you how busy they are. I know I'm certainly guilty of having said that on more than one occasion. In fact, I've noticed that it's typically become the default response when you ask someone how they're doing, whether in the church or in the city. It doesn't matter whether they're working or in school or they're at home taking care of the kids. Everyone, it seems, is busy, just crazy busy these days. Well, a New York Times article written several years ago, author Tim Kreider reflects on this cultural shift in a piece called The Busy Trap. And what Kreider observes is this, that being busy has increasingly become a desirable trait in our society, and especially among young professionals. It signals to others that your life is happening, tasks are getting done, and that you are a person who is needed, constantly wanted, and in demand. And you and I need that reassurance, don't we? We want to be seen as busy, and we value being needed, because the alternative would be far worse. Kreider concludes, I think busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, and in demand every hour of the day. Has any of that hit home, I wonder? See, I think we are a culture driven by business, and in a week filled with deadlines, expectations, and competing commitments, it's difficult to envision anything different. And yet our passage this morning presents us with something different. It invites us to come rest from our busyness. And in our passage today, the writer of these texts wants to teach us three principles about Sabbath rest. First, that it is necessary. Second, that it is commanded. And third, that it is holy. It is necessary. It is commanded and it is holy. We'll begin with looking at Sabbath rest being necessary. Well, this morning we're looking at two texts in Exodus and Deuteronomy that you have before you that are written to the Hebrew people. And the context for this is really quite important. Uh, these people have been liberated from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they are about to become a nation. God has graciously de- delivered them through a man named Moses who is leading them to the land that God has prepared for them. And as they make their way along, God is teaching them what it means to be His people. He's teaching them about His character, His commandments, and the purpose for their lives. And the question posed in Scripture is this. If they are to be this nation that is successful, fruitful, flourishing, faithful, and prosperous in the world, how are they to get there? The answer may surprise you. Because one of the first things that God teaches His people is how they are to rest. It is necessary. Notice that both these texts begin with a call for God's people to remember and observe something called the Sabbath day. Now, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest. It is a special day, a holiday, so to speak, that is meant for their refreshment. And God explains in our passage how this is to happen. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. God is teaching them that it is necessary to set aside one day in the week to rest from their work. There are six days for you to sign contracts, to see patients, to meet clients, to run meetings, but one day in the week is to be set aside for rest. It is necessary. Now, I think we tend to gloss over these passages because of our modern lens. We have weekends, so this doesn't strike us as being particularly new or innovative. But you need to know that this teaching was super progressive for its time. The ancient world lacked any concept of a weekend or time off. You just did what you had to do, and you worked in order to survive. And this was especially true for these Hebrews coming out of a context of slavery in Egypt. They were worked to the bone with heavy, excruciating manual labor without any rest whatsoever. And in making these people a nation, God is freeing them from their previous patterns of work. He is inviting them to come and rest. This is good news. This is the best news. I believe He's inviting each of us to come do the same. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I need to tell you that our city talks a lot about rest, but we're not very good at finding any. The pandemic changed some of that for a time. It was almost like an enforced Sabbath, but it didn't last very long. In October of last year, Forbes published an article titled Coronavirus Silver Lining, A Better Work-Life Balance. It detailed how the pandemic had actually caused people to slow down. It made people want to take care of their health, to be present with their families, and to value hobbies, rest, and leisure, some for the first time in a long, long time. It had a hopeful tone that even though circumstances were difficult, many were experiencing real positive good. You remember that? Then everything changed, didn't it? Employers began to get more savvy. Working from home meant that you were available around the clock, and flexible hours meant that you could complete your tasks at any time of the day or night. Reduced earnings meant that businesses would have to close, salaries would have to be cut, workers would have to be let go. In fact, I know that many of you had to work long, grueling hours just to keep your jobs and remain competitive. Some of you, I think, are still feeling the effects of that. You see, it was unavoidable and people began burning out all across the city. And in March of this year, barely five months later, Forbes published yet another article. Ironically, it was titled, Improving Work-Life Balance. Is there even such a thing as business hours anymore? See, for all our talk about rest and work-life balance, we're no closer to finding it after a global pandemic. It's worth asking, how is it that everything changed in a span of five months? How much rest has our city and our culture really given you? My friends, this word is not outdated. If we're honest, you and I need rest in much the same way. You might not be doing backbreaking manual labor, but I know many of you are exhausted. I've talked to you. I hear from you. Work is such a big part of our identity in Toronto. Some of you can't even imagine a day free from emails or phone calls. Even if you're unemployed right now, doesn't the search feel like an absolute grind? Is it possible that God's word to these Hebrew slaves is also God's word to each of us? I mean, you have to understand that these people's identity depended heavily on their work. Their very value in Egypt depended on how many bricks they could make a day. They've been so indoctrinated with this idea that their value and worth is based on their output, and in teaching them the Sabbath, God says, no, no, you are more important than that. I wonder, are you and I so very different from these people? Are you reaching your sales targets this month? Have you brought in X amount of business? Did you bill X number of hours? How many jobs did you apply to? How many patients did you see? What's your GPA like this semester? You see, we haven't come all that far as a culture. Could it be that we have simply created more sophisticated ways to talk about how many bricks we made this week? See, the uncomfortable truth about this passage is that you and I might not be any more free than a bunch of Hebrew slaves. Like them, we've been indoctrinated with this same idea that our value and worth is based on our output and that there is no room for rest. And God says, no, no, lawyer, nurse, parent, student, you are more important than that. This text is for people like us who desperately need rest because just like these Hebrews, God is needing to help us unlearn some unhealthy habits that we've picked up over the years. This passage teaches us to rest. Sabbath rest is really and truly necessary. Secondly, however, this passage also teaches us that Sabbath rest is commanded. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 tells us to observe the Sabbath as the Lord has commanded you. Exodus 20 adds to this. It punctuates this with commandment language. You shall labor for six days. You shall not do any work on the seventh day. You get the sense that the Sabbath rest is, well, it's really quite necessary. They require it, certainly, but it is also something that is required of them. And to see this most fully, I think you have to step back and look at these books fully as a whole. Remember, God has just liberated these people from slavery in Egypt, and they are about to become a nation. He's teaching them what it means to be His people. And in Exodus 19, one chapter before our passage, God does something really interesting. In Exodus 19.6, God gives His people a very special job to do. He says to them, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is their job title, so to speak. God has chosen them for this task. And as we discover through the Old Testament, it's a pretty important task, actually. It is. In the way that these people live, study, and work, they are to be a blessing to the nations. They are to show the world by their attitudes and behaviors that there is a God who can be trusted and who desires to know and save these nations also. This is stellar, important, important work. And the immediate question that follows is this. Okay, so we have a job title, but where is our job description? How are we now to perform this job? That is an excellent question. And it is no coincidence, I think, that if you open your Bible, you will find that what follows after this section is the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 is their job description, so to speak, because in the Ten Commandments, God tells the people what they are to value, how they ought to conduct themselves, and what duties they ought to perform to God and others. This is their JD. It is a list of their roles and responsibilities. And sandwiched within this ten-part job description is the fourth commandment, a job responsibility to remember and observe the Sabbath. Sabbath. The duty to rest is part of their job description. It is commanded. Pause there for a second. Before we go any further, let me say this should change fundamentally how we think about faith and work. According to this passage, work and rest are not at odds with each other. They are actually beautifully harmonious in the biblical narrative. The combination of the two actually contributes to the work week as a whole. Part of doing your job effectively and responsibly, God says, involves you taking rest. It is not a side quest, it is an essential part of doing your job. I want you to stop for a moment and consider Have you ever in your life seen a job description that mandates that you should rest one day in your work week? Like which big accounting firm or bank or employer you know values something like this? It doesn't exist, it's absolutely absurd. See, to our culture, doing your job effectively means that you ought to be spending as much time as possible being available and productive and as little time as possible taking rest. And God says, no, no. Being my people, doing the work that I have given you to do means that you learn to take rest seriously. It matters. I have commanded it. And this is exceptionally important because most of us think that rest and work have nothing to do with each other. They are complete opposites. It's possible that some of you are even sitting here wondering, why are we even talking about rest in a sermon series about faith and work? This is why. I want you to see from this text that rest is not a distraction from a more important work. Rest is an important work. God explicitly commands this of His people. If they are to be God's people, if they are to do the work that He has called them to do in blessing the nations through their various vocations, it is essential that they should know how to rest. And we're told in the passage why God commands this. The text tells us, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice what's happening here in this text. There's a parallel that's being drawn between our weekly rhythms and God's. We are meant to work and rest after the pattern that He has shown us. The text takes us back to the very beginning of the Bible, the creation of the world. Because in Genesis 1, we're told that God creates the world and everything in it in a space of six days. He makes the sea and the land and the skies and He fills them with life and all other kinds of oddities. He's a creator God who quite enjoys His work. And what you hear over and over again as God continues to work is this one statement repeated at the end of each day, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Every day you hear that without without fail until day six when God looks back on the entire work week, all that He has done, and declares, It is very good. It is very good. What a statement! I mean, really. Like, I wonder how many of us can look back on the work week and say that confidently. God says that it is good. He's delighted in His work. And part of what it means to delight in His work, to be fulfilled and satisfied with it, is that He takes rest. Rest is not something He does instead of working. It is the epitome of His work week. It's so important that you see that. It's almost like the artist who is painting a beautiful picture. She spent days painting mountains, trees, a river, a beautiful landscape. And then she steps back to reflect on her work. This is what rest is meant to do. In a mysterious way, your work is actually given more meaning and more dignity when you learn to rest and take delight in the things that God has called you to do. Your work would actually be incomplete without it. This is what this passage is saying. God delights in His work and He invites human beings to do the same with Him through rest. The Bible is teaching that our work and rest is to be patterned after the rhythms of God Himself. When we work and rest the way He commands, we are visibly reflecting this God to our neighbors in the watching world. That's what this is saying. Remember, God has given us a job, a capital J job. He has called us to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as this priestly holy people, we are commanded to work and rest in such a way that the nations might know about this God. Which means this, your schedule is not just about you. It's not. The way you personally order your work week matters because it is meant to proclaim something important to the world. Rest is so hard to come by right now. The work-life balance is tottering for our city. It has been for some time, but life after COVID is destroying people. The people of God are commanded to practice and model to the world what it means to trust God through rest, and I think we are too. Christian, this matters for you. When you take Sabbath rest, you are acknowledging in the deepest way possible that you belong to God and that He is your master, not your work not your ministry and not anything else. When your peers, when your co-workers, your neighbors see you rest and enjoy the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it should be near disarming. This kind of Sabbath rest is alien to the people of Toronto. When we're able to rest in the face of life's difficulties and complexities, we show the neighbors and our watching world that God can be trusted, not just for salvation, but for all of life. Isn't that what we want to proclaim? When we rest well, we show others where they might find rest for their souls. And conversely, when we don't rest well, we do the very opposite. We begin to resemble not God's holy people, but rather the culture around us. By our restlessness, we inadvertently teach people that this world is all there is and that there's nothing different about the gospel. Do you understand why this matters? See, Sabbath rest is not just about your refreshment. Notice that God doesn't rest because He's tired. He's infinite, eternal, and unchanging. Rather, we are commanded to keep Sabbath because it ultimately points to a much greater reality. It points to the person of God. Theodore F. Wolfe, an award-winning art critic and author, was once interviewed about his teaching. He was asked about painting and why it's difficult for artists to stop their work and let it rest. And I think if you listen closely, you might find in his words something relatable and true about your own work week. Wolf said this, one of the most difficult and one of the most important things an artist must learn is when to leave his or her painting alone and when to rest. The temptation is always to push a picture just a bit further, in effect adding unnecessary details, colors, or textures, or overloading the image with too much evidence of our technical skill. You see, we cannot stop." He continues, "...the danger at such times is to forget that art's primary function is to communicate an idea, not to celebrate an artist's performance." He concludes, true talent knows when to stop and when to stand back. I wonder if any of that speaks to your work life and rhythms of rest right now. Because the truth is this, men and women, the primary function of your work is not to celebrate your performance. If it were, as Wolf says, you would have no reason to stop. Instead, as our passage has been teaching us, you are commanded to keep Sabbath rest because it communicates a much greater reality. And this is our third point. Sabbath rest is holy. Sabbath rest is necessary and is commanded, as we've been seeing, but most importantly, we are told that it is holy. This passage says this actually repeats it several times. To be holy means that it's set apart and different from the week. This is not some general kind of rest from our work, no, but it is a rest that is oriented towards God. Exodus 20 says this, that six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. This day of rest is to be characterized not simply by tuning out everything else in the world, no, but by tuning in most especially to this God. This is expressly relational rest. We are to rest from our work, certainly, but even more than that, Sabbath rest is characterized by resting with God. This was a day that was meant for worship, the worship of God, for fellowship with one another and for doing good. It was a day to practice generosity and mercy, hospitality and kindness. It was a day to contemplate God's goodness and faithfulness and to enjoy Him and His work. It was a day that the believer dedicated to God and nobody else because their rest was ultimately made possible because of Him. And Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 actually reiterates this. It says this, that you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the people were to take rest remembering that God had set them free. Their rest was conditioned drastically by gratitude and joy. Because of what God had done in delivering them, there was a day set aside to remember and honor His goodness. This is what made this day exceptionally holy. And what we learn from the Old Testament is that the Sabbath, they had some pretty cosmic implications. In Exodus 31, God says to the people, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign, this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. They are to keep the Sabbath throughout their generations because it ultimately points to something much greater. It is a holy sign to the people that it is the Lord who saves and sanctifies them. And they need this sign because like you and me, they will find themselves getting swept up in a whole host of other things, and they will inevitably forsake this God. Rather than finding their rest in God, they will be tempted to rest in all kinds of other things, idols, prosperity, sinful pleasures, and even their own works. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel says of these people that they have despised God's holy things and have profaned His Sabbaths. Do you see? By their actions and works, they show that their slavery goes much deeper than that of Egypt. It is a slavery of the heart. And the Bible says that you and I have it too, because we are the same way. And yet, here's the good news of the gospel, my friends. 1,400 years after this passage is written, a rabbi appears on the scene. His name is Jesus, and he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. To people who are tired, overwhelmed, and mired in their sin, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It would be a controversial claim by any means were it not also true. His opponents are furious. They disagree. This man is making himself out to be like God. He is blaspheming. There is only one Lord of the Sabbath, and he has already delivered the people out of Egypt. You see, they didn't understand what Jesus was about to do. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus vowed to free us from slavery, a slavery not to some foreign power but to the powers of sin and death. You see, the Sabbath was always a sign to remind the people that it is the Lord who sanctifies them, and it is this very promise that takes Jesus to the cross. Our text this morning, friends, reminds us that we were slaves to something worse, and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. My friends, these words written for you could not have been more true than this because at the cross, the Lord of the Sabbath gave you rest in the most poetically painful way. The same hand and outstretched arm that freed God's people in Egypt was pierced in Jerusalem for your sins and mine. The gospel, this beautiful gospel, teaches us that the Lord of the Sabbath labored for you with His very life. His work was counted to you as righteousness, and your work condemned him. And yet, and yet, he took our sin upon himself because he knew that it was necessary for you and I to experience God's eternal Sabbath and eternal rest. Do you understand? This is the point of the passage. The chasm between God's holiness and our sin was too great for us to bear. This Lord of the Sabbath went to work so that you and I wouldn't have to. And when he had finished this great, grand work of salvation and he had nothing left to give, he said, it is finished, and he clocked out. And then he rested until the third day. And the New Testament now teaches us that this Sabbath we now celebrate is the glorious, beautiful resurrection of Jesus Christ. Men and women, in him, you and I have eternal rest for our souls. What could be better than that? Well, some application from this passage. What is it asking us to do? What do we take from this passage? I believe this passage is inviting us to Sabbath rest. If you're here and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you with the words of Jesus Christ Himself? He says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our world, I think, will offer you all kinds of rest, but none will be as satisfying or as eternal as what Jesus offers won't. There are many places I think you can go to rest your body and many things you can do to refresh your mind, but there's nothing except Jesus to revive your soul. There isn't. Come to Him for eternal rest. For the Christian, if you're here and you're a believer, gosh, you must have so many questions. (laughs) I think it's impossible to say everything that needs to be said about the Sabbath in one sermon, but here's some thoughts for you. I think many traditions are divided about how to interpret the Sabbath. Is this an ordinance from the law that is done away with, or is this something that is meant to be continued and practiced? I would say this briefly, Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath means at least that we are to take it seriously. It's not, it's not meaningless. I don't think Christ would exercise lordship over something that doesn't matter or no longer has any relevance for our lives, which means that Sabbath rest is really and truly important. It matters. You ought not to be too legalistic about it. Jesus condemns the scribes and Pharisees for doing so as a means of morality and for righteousness, but neither are you to be too liberal about it. I think the Bible does encourage us to set aside one day in the week for rest with God and to worship Him. Here at Grace, we believe that it's proper and consistent with the early church that we worship on Sunday on the basis of Christ's resurrection and with Him being our Sabbath. As much as possible then, I think you should make a commitment to joining worship on Sunday. There's a special day that God has honored for His worship. And where you have work commitments crop up, I think it would be good and responsible for you to set aside another day in the week for rest, if not the Lord's Day. It's really important. Some of you, I think, may still find that fairly difficult to do, but I think you should aspire to it for all the reasons we've been talking about today. It is necessary, it is commanded, and it is holy. It's worth considering, I think, that even our government acknowledges that we are people who need rest, and every organization is legally obligated to give you some measure of rest. Take advantage of it. Don't be passive. At the same time, I think if you want to obey God in this area, you will likely face significant pushback from our culture. It's tough. It's really tough. But you are called to wisely navigate these situations and consider how you might honor God. There are many in our church, I think, at different stages in their careers and in different industries who've worked faithfully to apply this teaching. It's good, I think, for us to be a community that learns from each other and helps each other honor God in this way. Because when we seek to truly honor God through the Sabbath and put Him first, I think He really is honored. He really is. I'll close with this. There's a story told about a little diner that opened in 1946 in suburban Atlanta. It was called the Dwarf Grill. The owner didn't have much, but he loved Jesus and he had a commitment to honor Him through the Sabbath. He read our passage this morning and determined in his conscience that neither he nor his employees nor anyone else should have to work on Sundays. He was laughed at and ridiculed because everyone knew that the weekend was when you made the most business. That was silly. Only a fool would close his restaurant on a Sunday. Well, this faithful fool continued to work six days of the week, and he and his employees rested on Sundays. They lost a lot of money at first, but for reasons beyond anyone's understanding, their business took off and spread all across the country. date, they have more than 2,000 locations and make more than $10 billion in sales every year. You might know them by their franchise name, Chick-fil-A. Founder, Truett Cathy, was once interviewed about their success, and he had this to say, Closing our business on Sunday is our way of honoring God. I believe God honored our decision and set before us unexpected opportunities to do greater work for him because of our loyalty. Men and women, when you honor the Lord through the Sabbath, you demonstrate to the watching world that Jesus is our greatest rest. What could be better than that? This text teaches us that Sabbath is necessary, commanded, and holy, and may we increasingly become a people who treat it as such. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sabbath rest. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have secured this rest on our behalf, that you did the work that we could never do, and because of that, we are your holy and priestly people. We ask that you would help us to carve out time for rest, for worship of you, to be with you, and to find Sabbath in you. Pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have some time now for Q&A. If you have any questions, Somebody asked, what, what, should the Sabbath, what should a Sabbath look like? Uh, I think we covered some of that already, but um, it is a day of worship. It's dedicated to the Lord to spend time with Him. It's also for our rest and your flourishing. Um, I think in the Old Testament, there's space for fellowship, for generosity, for mercy. It is a day that is expressly dedicated to God. You know, it might not seem like it's very different from any other rest day, but I would encourage you, at the beginning of your Sabbath day, dedicate it to Lord. Say, Lord, I dedicate this day to you and see actually how different your day actually becomes. Maybe that's helpful for you. I think we addressed some of that in the sermon, but feel free to ask uh, again if you have any questions. Do we need to observe Sabbath by resting on Sunday or on one full day per week, or is there any other way scheduled to observe the Sabbath? Um, Again, I think we covered this. um, uh, The Sabbath day was for worship, so expressly Sunday morning. I think for the New Testament church, uh, you ought to make it your your priority and your goal to be here and to worship on the day that God has ordained for it. Um, And if if that's not the day that you're able to take rest uh, from your work also, I think you should find another time to do that. many similar questions. Hello, is going shopping, eating out in restaurants on Sunday considered as work? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I hope not. Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I think there's ways uh, that our leisure is good and, and helpful and refreshing us and, and, and making us enjoy God more. Uh, one, some of the things that I enjoy doing most on, on my Sabbath day is taking walks, uh, doing things outside, enjoying the things that God has given me. It's a lot of questions about leisure, uh, so I hope that's, that's answered and that's helpful. If you have any other questions, feel free to email me. My email is tark at gracetoronto.ca, and I'd be happy to take your questions and speak further. Thanks for your time.